All right, and welcome back to another episode of Rebel with a Cause. I am your host, Eric, and joining me today is Remzo Martinez. How's it going, man? Hey, man. If I were any better, I would be you. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> uh, I use that line quite a bit, and uh, it's always uh, kind of surprising when I see somebody else's uh, face reaction to that, and it's like, oh, wait, what did you just say? That's how you know if they're actually paying attention to you or not. Yeah. It's the biggest test. Yeah, and recently uh, I was told that was an offensive joke. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it depends who you say it to. Like, I actually one of my one of my jobs used to be selling makeup out of the back of my car. So here's <laughs> what I do: you go into an office building and you go to the top floor, and then you hit every room there, and you just go down floor by floor until the security guards capture you. And if you see like you know a receptionist, whether or not they're old and decrepit or they're yeah. young and hot, you just say that, and immediately they at least want to look at your product. Right. So you've got after that after they react to that line specifically, you've got fifty fifty chance of making a sale. Yeah, it's uh, it's always one of those things because um, when you say something that's just not the normal, you know, hey, how you doing? Or I'm doing fine. How are you? And uh, it always takes that person just like an extra second to kind of, it's like, oh wait, no, he didn't give me a <laughs> standard greeting back. Oh yeah, I mean one of my favorites, like, uh, hey man. Uh, can't complain because nobody would listen. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. then they either laugh and say, yeah, very true. Or then they make you feel awkward. And then they're like, but I would listen yeah. because they think that something actually bad is happening. And yeah. they have to clarify, no, it's all, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I uh, part-time drive for Uber on the weekends. And uh, one time I made a joke to this lady. She was like, oh, I'm having a great night. How are you? I was like, well, I can complain to the steering wheel. And guess what? It doesn't talk back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in the in the professional bullshit world, uh, these you know these phrases go a long way. Yeah, and I've I've often think that if someone can come up with like a little joke or a bit like right on the spot, that's just a that's just a good sign of uh, higher intelligence. People like funny people. That's the other thing because I like to think of myself as a pretty unlikable person, but I have a stereotype of being a likable individual yeah. because I can be quippy. So yeah. there's a there's a funny correlation between funny and likable, even though I know a lot of funny people who are not likable, and then quippy and smart, because yeah. you got to be smart to make up something that people just don't, you know, recycle constantly. Yeah, that's, I've always found it's uh, you're kind of walking on the on the edge of a knife when you're throwing out quips and being an asshole at the same time. <laughs> you, you see, it's an art. And then here's yeah. what I say. If someone says they don't understand, I just say, oh, well, you're probably not one of those people who would. And yeah. then that's where things escalate. Yeah. They can get out of hand pretty quickly too. It's uh oh, that's where the fun starts. Yeah. I was like, Oh, Oh, you thought I was being serious just now. No, 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 no. I'm just joking. If, if I'm being serious, you'd know because you'd be crying. <laughs> all right, buddy. Now all of us took the short bus now. It's all good. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, you already had a book out there. Uh, don't touch the libertarians. Leave them alone, basically. <laughs> and now you get a good, now you get a new one about politics and other forms of devil worship. Has seed in politics and other forms of devil worship. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, when I read that title, I was like, oh, he's just gonna go like right for it, <laughs> just damn the maneuvers, head straight at him. <laughs> so and, you know, I try, I try and treat the world like a serial flasher. Just <laughs> go out there and show it. Or just, you know, stay home and do nothing. There's no 
one there there's no middle ground you just gotta go out and do it or you just don't do it so you might as well just go out and do it right yeah you might as well just do it because i mean what what's the worst that's gonna happen someone's gonna say oh that hurt my feelings (laughs) exactly at that point it's like if you if you're not gonna laugh at my stuff you're not gonna be interested in my stuff you weren't going to anyway so am i really missing a sale not really yeah not really so um yeah, I, uh, I just started reading the uh, the previous book, um, "Stay Away from the Libertarians," and I gotta say, it's uh, uh, in some in some cases, uh, I, I see what you're uh, trying to do with it is uh, just making the libertarian case, but also treating it with some comedy, and and I think uh, comedy is one of the last things that we have left that they can't take away from us. You know, uh, they can you know try to legislate all the guns away, try to legislate all the uh, you know the three wheeler uh, of life away but uh comedy and uh you know mockery is uh, just something that they can't take away yet oh absolutely i mean when i was uh when i was in basic training back in 2013 somebody told me something which really helped me get through that experience it was just assume you're always going to lose yeah whether the drill sergeants are messing with you or whether you lose something or whether you didn't do something good enough the first time just assume you're always going to lose and make a joke out of it and that really did uh, you know, stick with me because it took me a while to understand that you have to develop a bit of a, you know, sadistic sadomasochist type of humor to that degree. But, you know, one of the other things that also really kind of hit me very early on was one of my favorite movies is actually Casino Royale, the James Bond flick that first had Daniel Craig. Yeah. And there's a scene in there. Yeah. There's a scene in there where James Bond's been captured and he's stripped naked, put on a wicker chair with the bottom cut out. And then the bad guy has like this rope with a rock at the end of it and he swings it to like crush his balls each time. Yes. So at one point, you know, Bond just thinks, Hey, you know, I'm going to die. So I might as well piss this guy off till I die. And he's like, Hey, I've got an itch. Can you hit the left one? So the dude keeps smacking him in the left nut and Bond's like, no, no, you got to hit it harder. I'm still itching. Yeah. He's just laughing the entire time. And I'm watching that. I'm like, this is some sick stuff, but that's like, you you win as long as you still make them angry yeah you know at that point you're already captured the guy's just going to torture you maybe you can piss him off enough to so he can finish you off quick (laughs) yeah and and that's and that was the thing with my first book stay away from the libertarians i mean it wasn't going to be a a treatise on libertarianism those books have been written by much smarter more talented men than i and that people are still going to write those because it's an easy thing for people to make money off of what I wanted to do with that was I wanted to hit all these libertarian stereotypes and discuss why they came into existence, why they still, you know, stick around and how to defeat them and how to actually start winning arguments from a place of authority instead of a place of defense. And if you can make somebody laugh, it's actually going to keep them more interested, invested, because if you can make your opponents laugh, you already win. Uh, One of the most, you know, I think probably my favorite scene in a political moment in a, presidential election history was when i think it was uh reagan was debating walter mondale and somebody mentioned something about reagan being the oldest president ever and reagan was like i'm not going to let age be a factor in this election i will not use my opponent's youth and inexperience to attack him (laughs) and mondale just starts laughing the moderator starts laughing the audience starts laughing yeah. At that point, Walter Mondale in future interviews said, that's when I knew I lost the election. Yeah, because uh, there was nothing you were going to say that wasn't going to get turned around immediately. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and I'll give Reagan that. I mean, he was very quick on his feet uh, with the quips and everything. And, uh, and that, that's generally what kind of pissed everybody off about him. Um, so that's one thing I can give him. You, know? you never saw him with a frown. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. He wasn't going to come out and be all pissed off, and he was just going to tell it how it was. But, you know, if he could make a joke about it, he could. Yeah, and that, at the end of the day, I mean, life is a sad comedy. And if we can laugh at serious situations, that's probably the best thing we can do. And I think that's why my book, my first one, made it onto the bestsellers list and did well. Because, um, you know, I dig into some areas that many libertarian commentators don't know. I try to do a lot of my homework in terms of the history of the libertarian movement. But ultimately, you know, whether, whether my jokes shocked you or surprised you, they made you think about things. And that's something that humor especially dark humor where I really come from. And I really down, I, I really double down on it for my new book. Um, I mean, dark humor really makes people ask why they laugh at something, even when it's not funny. Why do we laugh at offensive things? So by mastering that, it's almost like a different language to a certain degree because you're conveying ideas on a much deeper level that asks people, you know, why, why do some things shock them? Why do some things make them worry? Why do th- some things make them, feel like it was really funny and if you can do that i think you're going to have a lot more success because as we were talking uh you know before we were recording you know there's a strong relationship between quippy people and people thinking that quippy people are smart and funny people and likable people i know a lot of quippy people that aren't smart but i know a lot of funny people that aren't likable either but we come to these conclusions based off one thing or another so it's a it's a subtle art of communication that i especially think libertarians have lacked in forever (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's uh there's quite a lot of us out there that you know we take these things so seriously and that's probably the reason why there's a lot of uh, infighting in between groups is we'll we'll try to out libertarian each other and it's like it's like you know guys this really isn't getting anything accomplished and if somebody else on your friends list is like cursorily just kind of looking through it just a little bit and they see what kind of a mess we are and, you know, and we're not, and some of us, you know, we do this out of, out of love, you know, cause, uh, you know, not everybody is an anarchist, uh, not everybody is a minarchist. Um, you know, if I can make a, a joke about the minarchist cookbook has all these great recipes, but it's always lacking the final step of actually putting the food. in the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, And if I can get a minarchist to actually, you know, laugh at that joke. And then I was like, okay, now, now we know that, you know, we're kind of on the same page here. <laughs> You know, we're not anywhere close to in our in uh, Capistan Libertopia or anything yet. You know, so uh, but we can always laugh and joke. But if someone's if we're getting into these, you know, really, really uh, specific debates about little things, you know, everyone else that's on our on our periphery, all the uh, status muggles, as uh, Stefan Kinsella likes to call them, you know, they're, they're going to look at there and it's like, oh, man, these guys, <laughs> I mean, they tear into each other worse than anybody else. You know, why would I want to be associated with that? But uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, two of my favorite libertarian commentators and comedians are uh, Brian McWilliams from Electric Liberty Land on the Lines of Liberty podcast, as well yeah. as Chris Spangle, because they can disarm you yes. so easily with a joke. And it's always been hard for me to go back and forth with them on something. I host a Patreon exclusive show with uh, Brian, John Odermatt, Howie Snowden and Dan Smots. And, you know, I try and come in we'll discuss like really harsh topics that we can't even really talk about publicly. But Brian and I will disagree of something and Brian will just throw a joke out there and suddenly like he's taking all the air from me. I can't I can't come back with anything. Even if I could, 
he's, he's just so good at that. And that's such a remarkable talent. Yeah. Uh, if anybody can take the wind out of anybody else's sails, it's definitely Brian. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You should see him on Twitter sometimes. Cause he, he will uh, come at something and then just hit it with the joke. And then he looks oh, like, his Twitter, oh, his Twitter game is fierce. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, you it's know, some what? ninja shit. Yeah, he'll 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 drop some kind of like the uh, complete logic bomb wrapped up in a joke, and then he'll just not comment anymore after that. And it was like, oh, you did your job. You walked away. <laughs> you threw exactly. that exactly. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's pretty good. Um, would that be the uh, conspiracy corner uh, Patreon only? Uh, oh man, it's the it's the it's the Legion of Liberty Doom. Oh, Legion of Liberty Doom. That's nice. On the on the Lions of Liberty Pride Patreon and the Downers Club Patreon for the Systems Down podcast, we 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 share that. Oh, okay. So, yeah, if you if you all want some deep crazy shit, the Legion <laughs> of Liberty Doom. We actually took out the the Liberty League or the Liberty Justice League or the Liberty Super Friends of Spangle and Mark Claire and you know the the, the bearded guy from New Hampshire. We took him out. And uh, we, we've, you know, now we're the only Liberty Super Evil League out there. It's funny. Super Evil League. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Hall of Evil. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. You know, our, our theme song actually riffs off the Super Friends Legion of Doom yeah. thing. Down in a darkened swamp and now in a, uh, I can't even do it. Not, not down in a dark and murky swamp. It's It's so funny. <laughs> and we got to laugh at those things because I mean, life is depressing. Like life is, life is actually really difficult. And if you can't laugh at things, like you're just going to fall into nihilism. Yeah. Um, and I often get accused of like uh, the, since your humor is so dark. I mean, I mean, you can't possibly be optimistic about everything and, you know, I have to throw in, I was like, I'm very optimistic about my pessimism. So. Oh, that's clever. I'm stealing that. Yeah, go for it. You can take that one home. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wait, optimistic? No, you can't be those. And then they'll want to get like all Germanic on me and say, no, the reason why this joke isn't funny is be. And I was like, okay, calm down. It was a joke. Let's just uh, take a deep breath, move on. <laughs> if it didn't land with you, it didn't land with you. It's okay. <laughs> Not all of us slick sled paints as a child. It's all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of us had to wear helmets to elementary school. So, <laughs> uh, I, I kid, but I kid. Now, uh, Jeff from third grade, I, I apologize. I realize he had a soft spot. It's it's okay. Jeff's an asshole anyway. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jeffrey. Jeff. 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 Oh, now, now we're going to get into uh, references. <laughs> uh, only eventually. lost track of where we were. <laughs> exactly. We just started getting into Jeff Denham quotes. Uh, so um, tell us about the, uh, the new book, the uh, politics and other forms of uh, devil worship. Uh, is there like a backstory to, to what preceded this book? Or are you just, uh, just any, since you're so close to Washington, D.C., I guess uh, you have a pretty good angle on everything. Yeah, well, thanks for outing me. My case manager from Witness Protection will be calling you later. <laughs> um, but I, I, was, uh, I, I was involved in partisan politics for uh, many years, and it included libertarians, Republicans, independents. I've done everything from interning to knocking doors to managing local, state, and federal races. And uh, 
it, it got to a point in my life where I really had to ask whether this is something I wanted to continue doing because what I asked, I had to ask myself a question. What was the cost of success if you lost yourself in the process of it? So yes. after, you know, taking a break from that, working some blue collar jobs, you know, actually doing some honest work, really evaluating my life, I realized that I, I really needed to just divorce myself from politics completely. And, you know, I, I just hope that bitch doesn't call back afterwards. <laughs> so I, I wanted to convey my experiences and, you know, a lot of the lessons I learned from politics in a way which people across party lines and ideological spectrums would want to actually read. Because my first book is really written for, you know, liberty curious people or libertarians. But I wanted something that could speak to everybody because at the end of the day, we're dealing with some very human issues of corruption, of desperation, of abuse of power, of mistrust. And I knew that if I were to go the nonfiction route, it wouldn't allow me that regardless of how good my intentions were. So I wanted to do was I wanted to craft a story, but I wanted something that was different in a way. So what I did was I crafted a fictional story arc that takes place in modern times. So that's way, I mean, you can basically rip something from the headlines and it applies to the book. But I also wanted to really paint a picture of, you know, the cost of politics when that is your entire life on a real life person who, you know, was dead. So that way, at least I could find, you know, a full complete story arc. So as I was doing my homework of someone that I think, you know, embodies the, you know, rags to riches and then empires to paupers type of storyline, I saw that, there was really only one person that I could talk about this with and still come out with a somewhat happy ending. And believe it or not, it was governor George Wallace of Alabama, probably mm. the biggest super rights, uh, the biggest civil rights villain of American history. And what I discovered was that this guy led a incredibly fascinating life. He started off as a blue collar, a uh, progressive judge in Alabama who, when he ran for governor the first time, was endorsed by the NAACP. And because he lost that election, he realized the only way he could possibly win in a southern state was to become a hardline racist segregationist. And you see throughout his life, I mean, the man ran for president three times, almost won the Democratic nomination in 1972, but took a assassin's failed bullet to basically bring him back to reality and ask himself whether or not his legacy, his life was done ultimately for the good of others or just for himself. Right. And the way that he died was so drastically different than the way that he lived. And when we look at George Wallace, we only really think about that terrible, horrendous speech he gave in 1963 talking about segregation forever. But the man died going you know basically wheeling himself around alabama going from black church to black church asking for forgiveness in non-election years it's very easy to paint something differently or to ask for forgiveness and say you've changed when you're running for re-election but this is something he did for the last decade and a half of his life because he genuinely wanted to you know pay penance for what he did but to help people not fall down the same path he went so what we see of George Wallace isn't simply just a cautionary tale of what corruption and the abuse of power can do to well-intentioned people, but it's also a story of hope for anyone that thinks they've messed up so bad that they can't be forgiven and try and reach salvation one way or another. This isn't a book about necessarily government specifically, but it's a book about how we treat each other and how we use this monopoly of violence and force to get our way. Right. 
Yeah, and uh, the Wallace story um, should kind of hit all, all of us because it was a politician who was, you know, basically just trying to take the quick and easy way to get elected, uh, made a whole bunch of mistakes, and it, it, you know, literally took someone shooting him uh, to kind of bring everything back and say, oh, man, I've definitely screwed up here. And, that, and, and like you said, he went on kind of an apology tour even when he wasn't running. You know, so that it, it should uh, it should serve as a good lesson for all of us, really. Absolutely, because, you know, there was an incident back in 2016. I went to Liberty University, so, you know, very Christian conservative school. And I made I made a joke that, you know, while I, I still think it's funny, it's probably not something I'd make again on, you know, a more existential level. We were taught it was the day after the 2016 election. And uh, my professor, who turned out to be the dean of my school later, we're at, we actually, you know, stay in contact to this day. He's been a great mentor to my, in my life personally and professionally. Uh, I, made, I made a comment about Hillary Clinton being a terrible candidate. And I said, I think it's wrong when people compare her to the devil because that's offensive to the devil. <laughs> yeah, really. And he didn't laugh at that. Everyone else laughed at that. And he didn't chastise me. He didn't lecture me. But I saw in the face he was disappointed because – this is a man who is probably one of the most devout Christians I ever met. He doesn't think anybody is so far gone that they can't find salvation. If you believe that type of thing, I know there are others that don't, but I think that says something because at the end of the day, you know, there's somebody out there that calls Hillary Clinton mom. Somebody calls Donald Trump dad. And all these people we go after, some of them are scumbags but some of them are just different from us. And for whatever reason, we have to remember at the end of the day, we're all human. So we have to assess, you know, whether or not this, the words we say, the stuff we're putting into the world, it, it doesn't just, you know, run into a void. It has a direct impact on people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can go after these people all day long and, uh, and you're right to, you know, you know, Hillary Clinton is, you know, Chelsea Clinton's mom. Um, I still think she killed Jeffrey Epstein. I'll, I'll go on the record and say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, she uh, checked in with the mustache and the sunglasses. Uh, <laughs> Hillary Achimo Clintano. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that whole Jeffrey Epstein thing. Oh, my God. Uh, turned everybody into Alex Jones overnight. Everybody's Alex Jones now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, uh, yeah, with all this, I, I, I do think we uh, try to – uh, demonization is, is such a tool for everybody. Um, you know, we'll get it in libertarian circles who are the bordertarians because they view uh, people south of the border as, you know, parasites and leeches. And they like to use these little terms and everything. I was like, well, they're still people, you know. Uh, and, and, and it goes even with politicians. You know, they are still a human being, whether or not they're lizard people or not. But uh, yeah, I mean, we do have to, we do have to kind of engage that part of our brains where we just want to instantly turn that other person into the bad guy uh, and maybe take a step back from it and say, look, look, this is a person who just didn't read the same things you read, didn't watch the same things you watched and just came to a different conclusion about everything. They're completely 100% wrong, of course, but you know, we can't just say, yeah, that person's evil, <laughs> you know, because, I, because from their perspective, they're the good guy, you know? Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, I, I wrote this kind of like my favorite director. I wrote it in a nonlinear way, like Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big Quentin Tarantino fan. And I think it really, 
I, I really think I nailed it in a certain sense. You know, I kind of blow smoke up my own ass because I'm talking about a real life person way back then. So you can kind of disassociate to a certain degree. But yeah. then I also kind of confront you with a lot of the problems we're having now because I have the other story arc of the fictional protagonist, Art Brown, who's living in our times, who worked in the 2016 election, who's in the world of Trump and Clinton and Booker and Harris and all these people. So it forces you to use history as a, as a way of reflection onto our own times. And, and I think, you know, just to kind of ramble for a second, like I think there's a certain freedom in fiction that we can't get just in purely nonfiction means because I could talk to you. Like I, I was a white paper pusher for a while. I worked for think tanks and nonprofits. I could talk to you about public choice theory, which is founded by George Mason university school, school economics, which basically says that all public servants are as susceptible to corruption and abuse as anyone in the private sector. Or I could tell you about a real life person and a bunch of his friends that use the government basically as a giant, chest full of money and extorted people and did bad things with it. I think people are going to go for the other one because it's more entertaining. And I think libertarians have lacked on that for a while. So if it's my one contribution, trying to spread these concepts and these discussions through a, a, an art form, I, I think I'm willing to do that. Yeah. And, uh, and fiction uh, definitely helps. I, I'm currently in the middle of uh, trying to write a book on uh, what can happen after, you know, society collapses or the economy implodes on itself and kind of taking that fictional route of that's like, okay. Um, you know, the reason why we're here is because of decades of economic, uh, stupidity. And, uh, and now here's what could be a result of that. So hopefully it, uh, entertains and informs at the same time. Uh, I'm trying to remember who came up with this term, but you like to call it faction, you know, where it was uh, fiction, but fact at the same time. <laughs> that's that's it i think somebody also called it the essay novel the essay novel yeah that, that's yeah. another good one too and, and and i think we need to use these uh you know kind of made up uh you know realities but basically you're hitting all of those lessons it's uh much much akin to uh kind of like aesop's fables you know where, where there was always some kind of moral to the story and hopefully somebody will take away, you know, after reading your books and say, oh, okay, I, I kind of get that now. They, well, we're always kind of looking for that light bulb moment. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to uh, Caleb Franz. He's, a, he's the director at the Maliberty Initiative, and he's a big comic nerd like myself. And, <laughs> you know, he, he came up with this great, you know, remark, which, I mean, I, I always thought but never actually put to words. Like he said, Captain America, the winter soldier did more to expand upon libertarian principles and popular culture than the libertarian party has ever. Yeah. And all that really, and he's absolutely right about that. Yeah. And, and really what kind of did it for most people it really wasn't the entire movie. It was just the one line where Nick Fury is kind of showing him all of the helicarriers in the subterranean basement of uh, the Triskelion. And he just looked, he goes, look, this isn't, what you think it is. This isn't freedom. Fear. This is yeah. fear. Yeah. This is fear. And that, that lie, everybody in the, when I saw in the movie theater, people went, Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cause they, I, I don't know if at that moment they kind of recognized, Oh, he's really talking about modern times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, I, I love that movie to this day. It's still my favorite Marvel film. Yeah. But, I mean, I, 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 I would go as far as say, you know, Ron Swanson, 
who's played by an Everytown USA board member, flaming liberal, did yeah. more to make libertarians mainstream than Gary Johnson. And Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty has done more than a- any any other libertarian economist, sadly. Like, it's, it's, it's sad and it's funny in a way, but it's all about finding a way to connect to people because nobody wants to be lectured, but everyone wants to ha- be part of a conversation. Yeah, and and some when I recently went back and rewatched all of the Parks and Rec episodes, uh, you can definitely see a difference between season one Ron Swanson, where I think the writers were basically just throwing up every libertarian straw man out there for him, and then uh, in subsequent seasons, I, I think the writers actually probably did a little bit of due diligence and kind of looked up some of the libertarian stuff, and uh, you know when I look at him, you know Ron Swanson's kind of a moderate, you know, because uh, the, the hunting episode he was like upset that the uh, the guy didn't have a hunting license or like yeah no libertarian would have been, they probably would have congratulated him for going hunting without a license so i mean to that degree he was also kind of like you know he was also preaching on conservationism which yeah. is a very free market concept yeah so i think it's funny because i mean they, they really doubled down on it because they saw that he resonated with the audience and really you know in the wake of obama's second term he was really the only you know libertarian hero advocate out there because nobody right. wanted to talk about the stuff during Obama's Obama's presidency. No one did. No one will want to do it publicly because then you're just shot down. Whereas the character of Ron Swanson was that voice for many people. Right. So, but, but yeah, and we all like to share the little Ron Swanson memes. Like even uh, Democrat and Republicans will do it if it kind of suits them a little bit. And you're kind of like, uh, no, that's not really what he was talking about there. But, you know, I, yeah, I he's not everything to everyone. But the fact that everyone universally likes him, yeah. at least as a caricature, is progress. Yeah. And for me, when Nick Offerman was like trying to open up his own whiskey distillery in California, was coming up against a whole bunch of red tape about it. You, you thought that would have like flipped the switch. It was like, oh, yeah, I played a character who kind of hated this stuff. And now I'm on, on Instagram and uh, Patreon and everything trying to get money raised so I can get an alcohol license to distill whiskey. Free market, <laughs> bitches. Free <Yeah>. market. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think it, it's uh, – yeah, using fiction definitely is going to help. Uh, using comedy definitely going to help. Um, drama maybe not so much, but <laughs> – but uh, yeah, there's definitely. enough drama out there for a lifetime. Exactly. And some of it find it way too much in our own personal lives. Um, but uh, Preach. Exactly. Uh, so I, I would want to advocate for all libertarians, kind of take a, take a step back. You know, we're all kind of on the same team. Uh, let's try to stop with the infighting because it's not really helping anything. Now I can understand uh, there, there's some folks out there who are so minarchist that, uh, you know, the only way that they can see to win is, uh, by getting, you know, an elected president. And I, I just don't, it's even... like being the cool kid at the retard table, <laughs> the smartest kid with down syndrome. It's uh, <laughs> another good one. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so if you're at all interested in, uh, any of these topics, uh, give Rimzo a listen. Uh, you still got your podcast up and running. Yep, the Remsa Martinez experience whenever I feel like putting something up. But you can go ahead and find all my work at thewashingtontimes.com. I'm in the opinion section there, and you can follow me on Twitter at HeyRemso. At HeyRemso. There you go. And uh, definitely get his two books, uh, Stay Away from the Libertarians and uh, Politics and Other Devil Worship. 
I, I think I'm getting the title of that correct. How, how to succeed in politics, better yeah. forms of devil worship. You were, you were almost there. Full title, full title. Okay. All right, Remzo. Well, thanks a lot for being on, man. Uh, anytime you want to come on, just hit me up. Uh, I can always make room for you, okay? Appreciate it, Eric. Take care and live free, brother. All right, you too, man. Bye. Bye. Harry Chessman here, celebrated television actor since 1962. I'm hanging out here today in the Anarchist Garage, trying to get my 65 Chevrolet Impella reconditioned. Eric, Wait, it, what, it, what's that? It's not a real garage. Yeah. It, it, it's not a real garage? Nope, not a real garage. Well, that's bullshit. Well, thanks. Anyways, check out Anarchist Garage, wherever you can find your podcasts. With co-host Eric LaPrice and Unreal Anna Adams. Harry Chussman, out! All right, and there he goes, folks. Remzo Martinez, author, podcaster, all-around good guy. Hope you enjoyed that interview, because I, I had fun doing it. <laughs> and it's always nice to see that there's uh, at least somebody else out there that uh, handles the gallows humor and the dark humor uh, pretty well. So, And no, I don't try to lessen... <laughs> anything i'm not making light of other people's problems it's just a way of coping with things and uh, comedy is usually one of those ways to do that all right let's get into the ask me anything portion of the day let's see first one uh, from david day how does concepts like tort law and contract disputes work in an anarcho-capitalist society well that one is uh, kind of the thing that we've been doing all along uh, arbitration mediation uh, those are both the uh, growth uh, industry, uh, I guess you can call it, uh, in the legal profession. Um, there's a lot of lawyers out there that study this and become arbitrators on the side for extra cash and everything. So uh, I would see kind of an expansion of what we already have going on today. You know, when you go get a credit card, uh, you agree to settle a dispute with the card company with the arbitrator rather than going through uh, court. And because the credit card companies recognize that you know, a government court, a state-controlled court, doesn't really dispense justice as it does just kind of wasting everybody's time. So I think that is how we'll handle uh, torts and uh, contract disputes in the future. So uh, torts being, um, you know, you slip and fall at somebody's store and now you have to sue, that type of thing. So the, there would, you know, that's not necessarily a contract, but... Uh, the store owner would definitely have video cameras installed and, you know, would, would train their employees on how to keep the, the floors uh, clean so that people aren't slipping and falling all over the place. And I can totally see all this happening from arbitration. And the uh, same thing with contract disputes. Uh, we already have that going on now, so it only expand in the future. So even uh, holding somebody criminally neg negligent for an action, you know, they did something and it resulted in somebody getting hurt, maimed, or killed, you know, I can see all that uh, just happening in front of an arbitrator already. So but that was a good question. And David, keep those uh, coming because uh, you you get my uh, thought processes going. All right, now over to Twitter, at GenXPub. And GenX is a pretty awesome chick. You guys got to check out her tweets. Uh, she's, she's great. Uh, is 40 really the new 20? Uh, winky face, smiley face. <laughs> uh and being a new 40-year-old, uh, at least for a few months now, uh, I would have to agree, yes, but it depends. There's a big stinky butt in there. Uh, it does depend. If you've taken care of yourself after, you know, your teenage years, you're in your 20s and your 30s, and you're not, uh, you know, boozing and drugging all over the place, and uh, 
and you're not eating a bunch of uh, garbage, uh, then yeah, 40 could be the new 20 for you. Uh, however, if you're like me, who basically just did everything he wanted to do <laughs> up until his mid thirties, uh, then no, like, uh, 40 is my new 35. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's some 60 year olds out there that 60 may be the new 40 for them. So I, I it all just kind of depends on how well you're taking care of yourself. You know, are you getting out there to exercise? You're not eating a bunch of crap. Uh, just take care of yourself, exercise when you can, and, you know, try to get your cardio in as much as possible. Cause if you've ever watched the movie, uh, zombie land, uh, car- uh, cardio is a very important step on evading zombies out there. So, <laughs> all right, well, that will do it uh, this week, everybody. Thanks for tagging along on the ride. If you could give the rating and review on uh, whatever podcatchers you have out there, it helps, uh, get the podcast, uh, in front of new eyeballs and new ear holes, uh, as I like to say. Uh, if you want to support the show, please, by all means, do so. I have a Patreon page, uh, bitbacker.io and subscribestar.com. All the links, uh, of course, will down, be down below in the show notes. Uh, I do have a, uh, a store on teespring.com forward slash rebel with the cause podcast. That, that's also linked down there. Uh, check it out. I have some pretty cool coffee mugs, pretty cool t-shirts and everything. Uh, just came up with a new one. Uh, speaking of uh, taking care of yourself, uh, it just says uh, this body is fueled by fat, protein, and hate for the state. So if you want to wear that t-shirt out in public and uh, get some people to look at you funny, uh, by all means, buy a a t-shirt. Every uh, dollar made will immediately go back into the podcast, whether upgrading equipment, uh, advertising, whatever I can to do to to get the podcast out there. That'd be great. Uh, So until next week, have yourselves a good one. And if you're listening to this far into the future, remember, I told you so.